0: hello uh welcome to my podcast my podcast does not have a name yet but it's a podcast so I'm glad that you're here listening to my podcast I've never done anything quite like this before so I wanted this to be like very chill we're just hanging out times and instead my heart rate is up because I'm very anxious because hello I I have anxiety and I'm an overthinker and I guess that ties in pretty well to what I was thinking would just be the theme of my podcast, which is overthinking. Um, I don't have a name for my podcast yet, but it's I'm, I'm throwing around some names. Let me actually read to you some of the names that I've been toying with. Uh, I was thinking of just calling it Overthinker, but it turns out that there is a podcast called Overthinker or Overthinking or something. So I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to get too similar to someone else's pre-existing podcast. But then I was thinking Overthinkers Club. Overthinker Society, uh, Compost Heap, Compost Bin, Daydreamers, The Overthought Podcast. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just a couple that I'm throwing out there. But let me know. Give me some feedback. Let me know if you have any ideas. Uh, so those are my ideas so far. But yeah, your feedback is more than appreciated. Um, and I have this little notepad here that I kind of wrote down some ideas for things that I could talk about, things that I have... lot of thoughts about that I didn't feel like there's anyone in my life that would want to hear me yammer on about it because yes I can tell people in my life things obviously I can have great conversations with them but I like to do deep dives into things and I like to really talk about like the nitty-gritty details of things and I love the people in my life and I don't want to yak their ears off about things that only I find interesting so I know there are other people in the world like me that are probably interested in the same things i'm interested in so i figured let's just let me let me word vomit some stuff out there which did you know that word vomit is also called logaria it's your word of the day um so i figured yeah it would be a good time to just try that just see if i can talk other people's ear off in a podcast which is kind of meant for talking people's ears off I also do live in um, a city, so there might be some noises in the background. There's some birds that are yelling at me outside, which is very rude. I think they are not saying very kind things. So if you hear any of that in the background, um, I'm sorry. There's not much I can really do about that right now. I was thinking that I was overthinking, I should say, that I was going to try to make this podcast like scripted out and really well put together and I was going to, I don't know, kind of essay style it. And that I would go back and I would cut out all the parts where you can hear any kind of background noise, like birds and stuff like that. And if there's like an obtrusive noise, like a helicopter or something, I will, of course, try to cut that out. But I realized that if I tried to make it perfect, I was never going to do it. So I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to keep a list of things that I would like to yammer on about. (laughs) And then I'll just sit down and record an episode. Once i feel like i have enough to say um having said that i don't know if you can expect these weekly or bi-weekly let's find out no idea i'm just i'm winging it buddy but i do think i did also want to branch off of the concept of creativity and making things and how you can overthink things maybe you think that you're maybe you think that you're thinking the right amount that you're thinking you just want to be prepared and preparedness is good but I think there is such a thing as over preparedness because if you think too much about something you try to prepare too much you're never going to have every situation covered Um, and then you're going to ramp up your anxiety if you have anxiety like I do and not only that but you might not ever actually get to do the thing if you're trying to make it perfect. I think it's better to make something that is imperfect and actually make it and get it out there and learn from what you're doing than to just wait until you can get it perfect because nothing's ever perfect. Um, Also, if you start something and you just keep working on it, you're going to get better just by virtue of working on it. So I figured that the first episode of my podcast is going to be a little bit rough. I already deleted part of it uh i did one intro that i deleted already because i wasn't happy with it so i think you know this will get better as we go and i'm just gonna learn through doing and learn through hopefully getting feedback if anyone even watches or listens to this i have no idea but i also have zero expectations and that kind of feels good to not expect something i don't know i'm on tiktok a lot lately and I put a lot of pressure on myself every time I make a TikTok. I have the anxiety about, are people going to watch it? Are people going to engage with it? And how stupid I'll look if this TikTok flops, which happens pretty often. Like I had some home runs, sometimes they do really well, but sometimes a TikTok flops and it doesn't feel good to have that kind of anxiety. And I think it interferes a lot with the creative process. So yeah, this podcast is just me vomiting stuff out there, I guess, and seeing what happens. Um, with no pressure, no expectation. So there are things that I do want to talk about with it, which is things like the creative process, obviously, which we've already done. And I would love to dive into a little bit of true crime because I am fascinated by true crime. Obviously, I'll have to talk about my cats. Like, the doy. I have one sacked out next to me. I wish she was in frame of the camera, but she's like on her back, leggies in the air snoring a little bit. I just started drinking water lately. I never used to do that. I used to just drink tea, like that's it, just tea. And now I'm trying to drink water, so uh, cheers to that. This is a reminder, drink your water, take your medication, uh, take care of yourselves. Drink water, don't be like me. It's been like six years just drinking tea and I can feel my insides crumbling. If you shut up alice okay i'm gonna stop talking about the actual making of the podcast and how anxious i am about it and i'm just gonna dive into it something that has been taking up a lot of space in my brain case lately is robert durst um if you know who i'm talking about it probably takes up the same amount of room in your brain space as it takes up in mine but if you don't let me give you a little rundown it is bananas so robert durst uh, was the heir to this massive, like, real estate family. He's no longer the heir because his younger brother kind of usurped him. He's also a suspected serial killer. So Robert Durst, in the 1970s, his wife Kathleen Durst, who was a medical student, she went missing, and by the time, um, the police thought to even check their home for any kind of evidence, it was too late. Like, the scene was already cold because so much had happened to sort of obfuscate the circumstances of her disappearance, which is really complicated. I don't think that I can possibly do this case justice by making a true crime video about it right now, Um, but I'm just going to give you the quick overview, like I said. So that happens. So then, several years later, he's been living under this cloud of suspicion. His brother has surpassed him as the heir to the real estate throne, if you will, and his best friend susan berman who lives in los angeles at the time gets murdered in her home um she's shot and it's very hit style like mob hit style and she grew up in a family of mobsters her dad was this huge like mafia man and yeah so people thought for a while they were like oh it's uh, it's a mob hit but then they got this letter the police officers the police station in la got a letter saying with her address saying cadaver with very distinctive handwriting okay everyone's kind of looking at him again at robert durst they're like you're a really suspicious guy like no one really trusted you when kathleen went missing and now your best friend is dead seems fishy something's up especially since one of kathleen's friends had just gone to the police and said you need to talk to susan berman and a couple days later susan berman is dead So then no one can find Robert Durst, he's gone. And then it turns out he's in Texas, he's living as a mute woman in Texas named Dorothy Siner. But the way that they found him is that a dismembered body showed up in the bay there. And it turned out to be a man named Morris Black who lived in the same building as Dorothy Siner, Robert Durst. And it was this whole thing, so then they were like, oh robert durst killed morris black unequivocally absolutely like that's not even alleged that is what he did but it goes to court and they're like yes he killed morris black but he did it in self-defense and somehow robert durst walks they don't convict him it's just absolutely wild so anyway if you want to look more into it that's just a quick overview of the three people that he's alleged to have killed so it's two that is allegedly murdered and one that he did murder but he was acquitted for through self-defense um yeah it's oh god it's insane so and one of the things i thought was really tragic and inspiring is that when kathleen went missing her friends were just on it they were on robert durst's ass they were stealing his trash and going through his trash and found all of this incriminating evidence in his trash (sighs) like i really feel that if her friends had the resources of the police department they would have solved this crime in like weeks not even maybe um and it just sucks that they weren't taken seriously because there's even a part in the documentary series the jinx about robert durst that uh one of the investigators talks about like oh just these these women would come in and they would just say the same thing over and over and it's like well maybe if you took them seriously they'd stop coming in and saying the same thing over and over you ding dong did you ever think of that huh oh my god stupid That kind of like frosted my butt a little bit oh this is the best part and i cannot believe that i skimmed over it okay so in the docuseries the jinx actually you know what i'm not going to spoil it in the first episode of my podcast go watch the docuseries the jinx we'll talk more about it in the second episode um and you will know why when you get to it i think it's six episodes and you have to get to the last episode the very end for the bombshell but oh my god if you are not familiar with this case when I tell you my heart was pounding out of my chest at that part it's insane it's bonkers so even though he is an alleged serial killer in my mind I definitely 100% think he's guilty like a- absolutely there's too much evidence but he is on trial right now for the murder of Susan Berman currently like He's expected to take the stand on Monday, which he was expected to take the stand on Thursday, so we'll see if he even gets there. But he's old and infirm at this point. I actually think he's only in his 70s, but he looks like shit. Like, he looks like absolute dog shit. So the reason that I have been thinking about this so much and it's been occupying so much room in my head, he's lied so much, like, and people know that he's lying. Isn't there a certain point where you realize that people know and you just stop? Like, you're ba- like you've are Like you been caught. I just think it's crazy, it blows my mind. I can't figure out why people would be like, you're caught in a lie, and then he just doubles down on the lie. I also think that he's a man with a an inflated ego. And I don't think that egos are what people think they are all of the time, if that makes sense. I don't think that an ego is Sincere self-confidence. I think that an ego is like um, some bubble wrap around a more fragile self-confidence or sense of self. I think the ego is there to protect it. Um, And based on what I've read about it, I feel that that's a pretty accurate assessment. But I am not a I'm not a brain doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know things. But this is just what I kind of believe, especially also having known people with big egos. I don't think that having a big ego makes you a bad person. I think it means, makes you kind of a fragile person. And I think that when I s- see someone with a big ego and, like, get to know someone with a big ego, I don't feel off-put always. A lot of the times I just feel like I'm dealing with an insecure person. So the thing that I feel the most is probably pity. And so, having said that, I feel a lot of pity for Robert Durst and... I think that's kind of weird because, yes, I believe that he killed three people. So why do I feel pity for this person? And I think it's the same way that I feel pity for, like, Donald Trump. As much as I cannot stand that man, and I think he is a horrible, disgusting human being who is a hate mongerer, I feel bad for him because I think he has a really fragile, there's like a fragile little baby in there. And that's what his ego is for, is to like build up walls around that fragile little baby. Um, Yeah, so when I see Robert Durst in court now, he looks, I mean, he looks pathetic. He's old, he's falling to pieces. He just looks like shit. And I cannot help but feel bad for him, even though he killed three people, allegedly. Um, And obviously I feel way worse for Kathleen Durst's family I think they deserve so much better, and at this point, I wish that he would just say what he did with Kathleen, so that the family can get some closure, and then die. So while I still feel bad for him, it's not the same kind of empathy and sympathy that I feel for Kathleen's family, for example, or that I feel for Morris Black and for his family. Um, It's just like a very different form of, I guess, sympathy for him. Um, cause he's a bad person for all intents and purposes. He's a really sick human, uh, physically and mentally. He's, oh my God, the number of times that this trial has been delayed for Susan Berman's death has been delayed because of his poor health is crazy. And I don't think that every time it's been delayed because of his poor health, it's authentic. I think that he's a manipulative person. Um, but I can't wait to see him on the stand, Because I think that at this point, he has a tendency to talk to himself. And I think people do this to self-soothe sometimes. I know I talk to myself a lot when I'm feeling kind of anxious and miserable about something. If I remember something that makes me anxious, I have to say something to myself out loud to kind of jerk myself out of it. And I kind of think maybe it's something similar with him, which you will see in The Jinx if you watch it please go watch it. Oh my God, please watch it. And then talk to me about it. Uh, So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens on the stand when he gets grilled by uh, the prosecution, which is Lewin, who is a very good prosecutor. Um, I think it's going to be really intense and I'm looking forward to it. I'm live streaming it. That's the super exciting radio show that I listen to while I'm at work. I don't want this to be a true crime podcast for the record so it might be kind of weird to be starting with true crime maybe at a certain point in this podcast i'll start dividing stuff up into segments so i'll have like a true crime segment or maybe it's not a true crime segment maybe it's a psychology segment i don't know we'll see what happens i'm just rolling with it maybe to go with the theme of overthinking things i wanted to share one of my strategies for falling asleep if I can't stop overthinking and I can't get to sleep because I can't stop overthinking because my brain will not shut up. Do you have that? If you have that, you know it's like the worst thing. Um, Your brain either is telling you stupid lies about yourself or it's telling you mean truths about yourself or it's just regurgitating bad memories and it just keeps you up because I think it just keeps your adrenaline at a certain level and you can't get it to stop. So what I do to handle this is I have this game that I play with myself I've been playing it for years, like since I was in middle school, I think. And the game is that I have to count to 1,000 in my head in my loud thinking voice. And if I get distracted, if I start thinking about something else, I have to start over. If I open my eyes, I have to start over. And I can win the game by getting to 1,000 before I fall asleep. So it's like a challenge with myself, and since it's a challenge, it keeps me focused. Um, And I can count as fast or as slow as I want. If I need to, I can count slowly, but usually I'll try to count quickly, but I have to enunciate the, the word of the number clearly in my loud brain voice in order for it to count. So it takes like focus and it keeps my brain from wandering off into all these other little twisty dark alleys that it really likes to go into. And I think I can count on one hand, the number of times that I have won this game against myself. Um, So it's been highly successful. Uh, Yeah, I really recommend that you do that. I hope it works for you. I recently finished reading a book called The Loney. Let me look up who it's by. I cannot remember the name of the author off the top of my head. Let's see. The Loney. Andrew Michael Hurley. I'm going to read you a quick summary of it. It was intense. I think I liked it. I'm still kind of processing how I feel about it, to be honest with you. If it had another name, I never knew, but the locals called it the Loney, that strange nowhere between the wire and the loon where Hanny and I went every Easter time with Mummer, Farther, Mr. and Mrs. Belderbos, and Father Wilfred, the parish priest. It was impossible to truly know the place. It changed with each influx and retreat, and the neap tides would reveal the skeletons of those who thought they could escape its insidious currents. No one ever went near the water. No one apart from us, that is. I suppose I always knew that what happened there wouldn't stay hidden forever, no matter how much I wanted it to, no matter how hard I tried to forget." So that's an excerpt from Goodreads, but I want to find the actual summary of it. Let me find it. I'm going to talk about it in this episode a little bit, just the descriptions, and then I think in the next episode I'll kind of give some more of my thoughts on it so that if you want to, between this episode and the next one, you can pick it up and read it. So it is described as a brilliantly unsettling and atmospheric debut full of unnerving horror. The Loney is not just good, it's great. It's an amazing piece of fiction. That comes from Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King has also endorsed um, books by, oh gosh, what's his name? Final Girls, Riley Sager. So I don't entirely trust Stephen King's reviews of books because I think he gets paid for blurbs and reviews. And he's recommended some really bad books. Riley Sager, in my humble opinion, is one of the worst horror mystery authors in modern times. It's bad. It's brutal. That was a really mean thing to say. Sorry Riley Sager, but not that sorry because the way you write about women is gross. Okay, moving on. When Smith was a boy, he and his family went on an Easter pilgrimage with their local parish to the Loney, a bleak stretch of the English coastline to visit an ancient shrine in search of healing for Smith's disabled brother. But the locals were none too pleased to welcome them, and the two brothers soon became entangled in a troubling morass of dangerous rituals. For years after, Smith carries the burden of what happened that spring. And when he hears that the body of a young child has been found during a storm at the Loney, he's forced to reckon with his darkest secrets, no matter the cost. So it's very gothic, it's recommended for people who like Shirley Jackson and Stephen King, Um, I definitely see both of those very strongly in it. I think I enjoyed reading it. It was a little slow at times, but so atmospherically terrifying that it kind of kept you propelled through the plot anyway. Um, And again, I'm not going to get too much into it right now because if you want to read it between now and my second episode, uh, yeah, do that. I hope you like it. If you don't, you can tell me that my taste sucks. Uh, I've already roasted Riley Sager and if you like Riley Sager, I've pretty much told you that your taste sucks So you're welcome to tell me that mine sucks, too (laughs) Sorry about that. I also recently started rereading a book series that I remember really enjoying in middle school and high school called Skullduggery Pleasant And it's about a skeleton magician detective and his 13 year old sidekick And it's very funny. I actually I don't know. I like to go back and reread things that I read when I was a kid and half the time I don't, it's, it's split pretty evenly half the time. I don't enjoy it as much at all. Like I think, Oh my God, I can't believe I ever liked that. That's embarrassing. And the other half of the time I'm like, wow, this is actually good. And I'm actually really enjoying it. I'm having a great time. I'm on the second book right now. It's pretty funny. It's pretty fast paced. Um, and it's kind of a rollicking adventure and you get to, I don't know, I feel like I understand why I liked it so much when I was a kid. It's this 13-year-old girl that gets to be, like, kind of badass and sarcastic and have a uh, witty repartee with a skeleton magician who's also a private investigator. It's pretty good. I like it. I recommend you read it if you need something lighthearted, which you will need something lighthearted after the loney. I always have to give my brain a little bath once I read something that's a little too hard for me to live with in my feelings. Um, Like the book My Dark Vanessa messed me up real good. I will not read any more Sally Rooney after I read Normal People. That one, I was depressed the whole time I was reading it, and if I think about it too much sometimes, I still get horribly depressed. It's not good, man. I mean, it's good writing. I think that Sally Rooney is a good author is what I'm trying to say. I think that she's a very good writer. I think it is not for me because I think that my little heart is just too fragile and i can't handle the feelings that it makes me feel i don't want them so i'm going to return to sender but good job sally rooney keep doing you also heads up on normal people it's a little bit raunchy if you're if you're a prude like i am it's gonna make you blush a lot i'm i'm a prude okay Oh, owie. Oh, my little leggies. I'm sitting on my leggies and my leggies fell asleep. Ay ay ay. Oh, wait, there was something else. Okay, I'm gonna wrap this up real quick in just a second, but I wanted to talk about Diana Wynne-Jones since we're talking about books, and this is gonna tie into something else that I'm really loving right now, which is Studio Ghibli, which I have always loved, but I'm kind of going through like a resurgence of interest in it. So Diana Wynne-Jones wrote the book, Howl's Moving Castle, which is a Studio Ghibli film. And she also wrote a short story called earwig and the witch that i read not that long ago and i had no idea that it was also a studio ghibli film and i haven't watched it yet but i'm so excited to. one of the things that i love about diana wynne jones is that if you are reading her books or her short stories from a very like western-minded uh vision of how a plot arc should take place and like the points that it should hit to get to the the culmination of the story you're not going to find that with Diana Wynne-Jones. She kind of subverts your expectations, which I think lends itself very well to Studio Ghibli, because Studio Ghibli does the same thing. It's not the kind of storytelling um, flow that we're really used to, but it's still a beautiful, magical adventure that that they pull you on. Um, Earwig and the Witch, the the short story, does not have necessarily the wholesome ending that you would expect it's about an orphan who gets adopted by a a horrible witch who's just nasty and it doesn't have there's no like redemptive plot arc for the witch um which i expected going into it just with my preconceived notions of literature and the plot arcs that happen uh so you know you don't grow to like the witch at all and earwig still comes out on top um I'm not going to tell you how so because you can also go read that if you want. It's a very quick short story. So I'm excited to see what Studio Ghibli did with it. I had no idea. I'm stoked. D- I didn't know that there was like more Diana Wynne-Jones adapted into Studio Ghibli. It's like, oh, it's so good. There was some kind of um, Neil Gaiman in his book Cheap Seats or The View from the Cheap Seats. He wrote about her and he said something about um, uh, the way that he was like talking to her or something and said that her books don't always make sense and she said well they don't make sense to adults but kids can connect the dots and if you go back and read it you'll see that the dots are all there you just have to connect them and i kind of feel that way with studio ghibli i feel like um there's a lot of differences in the adaptations of howl's moving castle from the book but i really i feel like it's such a magical thing when a film studio can really see into the heart of a book and a story and create a good film adaptation of it um, that is still pretty different but adheres to a lot of the truths of that story and of what the storyteller was creating and conveying. And I think they did that really well with Howl's Moving Castle. I, uh, I just love it. I just love it so much. Um, another adaptation that I think did really well was Anne with an E. Um, because it's based on Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery, and I know a lot of people didn't like it because they thought it was too gritty. Anne of Green Gables was um, Montgomery's first book series, and it was very saccharine. I don't super like it. I didn't read it as a kid, and so I don't have the fond memories associated with it. I, I like it. It's fine, but it wouldn't be my first choice of her works. I think that my first choice would be Emily of New Moon, which is a lot darker it's the same premise. It's an orphaned child going to live with people that are hard to live with and hard to get along with and like a little bit like crusty on the outside, but are, you know, good people on the inside. Um, and there's still, there's a lot of differences between them. Um, Emily is a lot quieter and reserved, but bad things happen. And instead of just getting like brushed aside and, and, uh, being treated with, uh, levity, it's bad things happen in this book. Um, in this series of books. So I really think that the, the, the TV series Anne with an E did a good job of taking this beloved Anne of Green Gables that she's most known for and mixing it with some of the darkness and seriousness of her later work. So you still are on this rollicking good ride of Anne of Green Gables with her, you know, red braids and, you know, trying to dye her hair black and it turning green and all these silly shenanigans, but you also have some of the nitty gritty darker details of an orphan who's had trauma. Um, And so it honestly, I think it augments it, it makes it a little more beautiful because you have this darkness underneath so that the highlights, you can appreciate them so much more. And when Anne is kind to people, you can appreciate it so much more and you watch her like gain more empathy and understanding for other characters. Um, and I think it it really creates a lot of beautiful character development and I think it's very true to um, the progression that Lucy Maud Montgomery went through in her life as a writer and how things got darker like I know a lot of people haven't read Anne of Green Gables Um, the whole series through to the end it gets darker as you go Um, so between that and Emily of New Moon I just think that that show did a really good job of encapsulating the the chiaroscuro there that exists. Um, yeah, that was not something I expected to be talking about in this first podcast, but I hope that it was okay. I hope you liked listening to it. I think I'm going to kind of wrap it up here, but... Uh, Let me know what you think as far as names for the podcast. I don't know how often I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to do it once a week. But God, who knows? I don't want to make promises and then not keep them. And then I'm going to stress myself out about the promises that I haven't kept. And then I won't come back and do another podcast because I'll be so stressed out that I didn't do a podcast. So I'm going to try to not overthink it and just be chill about it. And my cat just stretched. And oh my God, it was so cute. Ugh, love that little critter. Okay. Hey, you know what? Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. Uh, My name's Alice LeFay. I'm glad that you hung out with me for a little bit. You can go hang out with me on TikTok or Instagram, at Alice LeFay, if you want to. Don't feel pressured to. Anyway, I'm gonna go. Have a lovely day. Drink some water. Pet some cats. Touch grass. Alright, uh, love you. Bye.